got me, Eric. You made me shed a tear. It's all right. Real men cry. <laughs> well, if you're new with us, we are uh, welcome to E3, and we're in a series that we've called Together We Can, and this is one of those things that, you know, it's not about the, the emotional hype and darn it, you're good enough, you can do it, we can do it, it's not really about that at all, it, it's about we, together, can fulfill the design of God as Christians, talking specifically about the body of Christ and how we as a community, we as believers in Jesus Christ, can come alongside of each other and begin to uh, move further in our relationships with God and each other, learning to trust, learning to participate, learning to, to bless each other, learning to speak truth, finding out what our true identity is. And tonight, we get to talk about our favorite subject in the entire world, which is Conflict! Woohoo! Everybody just go ahead and let out the collective sigh. Oh, conflict. Oh, yeah. How much we love conflict, right? Conflict. Conflict is one of those things that, and it, it's really, a, it's really a, a battle. It's really a, a, a challenge. It's really an opportunity for us to go deeper in our faith with God. And that's really the, the point of what we're going to be talking about tonight. But not many of us do conflict well. Maybe even on the, on the way to church, <laughs> on the way to this gathering, you may have experienced some kind of conflict. Things just somehow, when we, when we want to do something godly, when we begin to make proactive steps in, in seeking God and, and, and learning about Him, conflict happens. And I was on, uh, I was on Facebook, and I, I asked people, hey, how do you deal with conflict? And so I figured they share their answers in a public forum. So why can't I share their answers here, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I have changed the names to protect the guilty. Number one, how do you deal with conflict? Where I was raised, he needed killing was a valid defense for murder. Just kidding. I just let loose my natural tendencies, not saying that's the right way, mind you. I get into a lot of trouble. How do you deal with conflict, number two? With a bullet. <laughs> yeah. I may have to unfriend that person. I'm not sure. Uh, number three, I call my pastor. And this is very true. This person, you know, I have received many phone calls at all hours of the day and night. Um, that's, that's one of the things that I get to do. Uh, it is a great joy for me, actually. It, 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 I don't mind being woken up in the middle of the night. Uh, number four, one word with an exclamation point, adversely. <laughs> That's how I deal with conflict. And number five, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Conflict, it, it doesn't seem to be a lot of fun. doesn't seem to be one of those things that we're just really excited about. You know, it ends up being one of those things that that really can be a, a deterrent to our view on life and how we look at things. And conflict basically happens when something or someone clashes with what I believe. Or when reality, real reality, challenges my fantasy life or my imaginary life. What happens is we talked about, about uh, last week with identity 
is there's a place inside of us where we would actually rather be esteemed in the imaginary mind of our friends and our family and our loved ones than for us to actually be content with who we are. We would rather live in vicariously in their minds as, as some good person, as, as some person worth loving than to share the core of who we are and be content with the journey that we're on. And this brings about conflict. And a lot of times, the way that these conflicts happen or show themselves are, are through these I statements. I'm right. I know the best way. You ever said that? There's always somebody to be like, oh yeah, no you don't. <laughs> There's always somebody to say, oh no, let me, let me show you the right way, right? In their great humility, you know? Uh, we have these statements like, I'm, I'm beautiful just as I am. I don't need to change, you know? Love it or leave it, baby. You know, and we kind of have this mentality, you know, that, that we should be loved just like we are. And when someone comes, you know, uh, in contrast to that, causes conflict. I deserve this. I don't deserve that. I want this. I need that. I have rights. That's not fair. And what happens is we begin to build this sense of entitlement. We begin to look around us and go, hey, hey, they have this. Why can't I have that? It isn't fair. What's the difference between me and them? God, you're so unfair. We begin to set up these things, this mentality that, that's totally opposite of what really God's design is, and it causes conflict. And these things can very quickly shape our identity. They can very quickly begin to, begin to label us and categorize us. You know, as we deal with our conflict, oh, that person, they're, they're such a jerk. They don't know how to deal with conflict. They're always just spouting off at the mouth and they get angry and they get frustrated at everything. Just a jerk. You can't talk to them about anything. That person, oh, they're, they're so spoiled. They think that everybody in the world owes them something and they shouldn't have to do anything. That person, oh, they're conceited. They're, they're a coward. They're, they're selfish. And they're an abuser. It's a scary place when you get to the place in your conflict where you realize that you've lost control and the things that you do and the things that you say and the way that you act actually gets defined as abusive. You're an emo emotionally abusive person. You're a physically abusive person. I'm scared of you. Conflict. You've got to learn how to deal with this stuff. And there's different ways, you know, that we can deal with conflict. And years ago, I, I was in premarital counseling with my with my parents, they did my, uh, Renee and my premarital counseling, and they talked about conflict resolution. And there were these five basic things, you know, that they told us. I still remember them, and I've started doing premarital counseling, and I share them with with all of the people that I talk with. And five basic ways that we deal with conflict. Well, one, we can yield. We can yield. We can just simply say, you know what, I don't, really, I don't really want to deal with this. I don't really want to, uh, well, it's just not worth it. You just, you have your way. I'll be okay with that. And so what happens is over years and over, over you know, lifetime uh, and in these relationships where we continually yield and we continually give in and we continually let our own opinions and ideas be stifled and be, and be brought down is what happens is we build up bitterness and we build up resentment. 
And then all of a sudden, 20 years go by, 30 years go by, and we're in this relationship, we're in this marriage, and these words begin to come out like, you know what, I, I just, I can't be myself around you. You don't really know me. You don't, you don't really love me for who I am. And what has happened is this marriage, this relationship has died a very slow and agonizing death in the silence of yielding. Another way we can do it is, is withdrawing. And this is just simply saying, ah, I, don't, I don't want to deal with you. I want to avoid conflict as much as possible. Maybe you've heard somebody say, you know, um, I, I will pay any price for peace. And so what happens is we, we end up kind of making this temporary peace. We end up making this, this kind of, we put a band-aid on the situation and, and we kind of give in for the moment and, and well, that really doesn't work. And so what happens is we withdraw and we avoid and nothing is worth talking about and we never want to deal with it and there's never a right time. I, I'm, in a, I'm in too good of a mood to talk about the finances, <laughs> to talk about the budget right now. Don't, don't bring me down with your, you know, your stress and your anxiety and your worry and, and the bad day that you've been having. I'm, I'm in a good place right now. You know? I, don't, I don't want to hear all that stuff. You're such a drag. So we withdraw. Another one? You can win. Any winners out there? Yeah, the conflict arises and you're like, yes, another contest. And I am going to win, you know? And so our whole mentality in facing this conflict is our mind is just spinning, you know? We're just like going out of control, just going, how can I, how can I manipulate this? How can I spin this so that I come out on top even though I know I'm dead wrong, you know? And he, oh, I got a couple people in here. Yeah, I, I do that. Yeah, winners. You guys are such winners. Yes, winners. And yet, there's another one we can compromise. And compromise just sounds like this wonderful, beautiful, peaceful thing. You know, oh yeah, we should all just get along in harmony, and we should compromise. And compromise is really where we find ourselves in the middle. And what happens is we kind of, well, you give a little bit and I'll give a little bit and, and you take a little bit and I'll take a little bit and, and we'll find ourselves somewhere in between where you're not really happy but you're not mad and I'm not really happy but I'm not mad, we're okay. And we're in the middle. We've compromised. And compromise is one of those things that it ends up basically just leading to a life of status quo. It basically just leads us into a life oftentimes of misery because we never really achieve our dreams and we never really get to a place where we feel like we've answered the call of God for our life and we're not really ever holy and we're not really ever passionate about the things of God because, well, we're, we've just compromised. We're just okay. And there's certain things that we just should not compromise on. It's not okay for us to break God's law. It's not okay. Why? Because what happens is it separates us from our fellowship with Him. And it ends up separating us in our fellowship with each other, as we'll see a little bit later. Conflict is really a part of who we are at this stage of our experience. And the last way that we deal with conflict is resolution, reconciliation. And this is really what God desires. This is really coming to uh, a mutual submission to a standard. And that standard should be God's standard. And that's what really reconciliation is. 
where it isn't about I got my way, I won this time, oh, you won this time, I'll get you next time. Oh, we, we've come to a happy medium. No, it's really about, all right, yeah, no, I was wrong on this, and I need to, we need to submit to what God says, and we need to do this. And so we come to a reconciliation, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute as well. But conflict is a part of who we are at this stage of our experience, at this part of our understanding, in this place in time, within the scope of our existence, in the scope of eternity. Right here, right now, we face conflict. The Bible has a lot to say about that. And in Romans, there's a, a couple verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. It talks about those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Whoa. There's some conflict for you. What's going on here? Well, what we know is going on is that we all have this nature. We all have, let's just call it selfishness. We all have this desire to be pleased, to seek our own pleasure, to get the things that we want. And the Bible calls that a, a carnal nature. It calls it our depravity. It calls it the lifestyle that leads us to sin, which is those things that we do outside of God's design, outside of God's plan for unity and harmony with him and with each other. And so here we are, we know that, that outside of our relationship with God, just in our normal relationships, just in our everyday interactions, the things that we want to do to have fun, to, to experience each other, and you know, going to the movies, oh, what movie do you want to see? Oh, I want to see this. Oh, well, I really wanted to see this. Well, you picked last time. Yeah, but I really want to see this. All these little, you know, just kind of meaningless, superfluous interactions that we have on a day-to-day -day basis from, from what we eat to what we watch to, to what we wear, all of these kinds of things, we have conflict. And yet now we're talking about this whole other level because now we've introduced a life in the Spirit. Now we have an opportunity to actually experience God, to get beyond the superfluous and get into the real purpose of life, the real meaning of life. And certainly... If there's anything that's going to stir up conflict, if there's any enemy that seeks to destroy us or seeks to steal from us or to rob us or to, to cause problems, it's going to come up in this area where we meet the full design of our humanity. Not just our relationships with each other, but now our relationship with God. And so conflict becomes one of motive. The sin nature, the the depravity of my selfishness says, I want to please me. What is it that makes me feel good? The new toy, the new car, the new girlfriend, the new boyfriend, the new set of clothes, the new look, the new set of friends. Whatever it is that appeals to me at that moment and builds me up and strengthens me. It makes me feel good about myself. Or, motive, pleasing God. Pleasing God. Now, Jesus gives us this parable in Matthew chapter 13. You've got it on your fridge fold, or you can um, follow along in one of the Bibles on the table. I think it's page 586 uh, in your Bibles. 
Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. And this is, these are the, the words of Jesus Christ as, he, as he's giving us a parable. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as everyone slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's servants came and told him, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. An enemy has done it. The farmer exclaimed, shall we, put, shall we pull out all the weeds, they asked? He replied, no, you'll hurt the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. Here we've got this parable, and a lot of times when we, when we read the parables of Christ, when, we, when we're trying to understand these spiritual truths that he's talking about, you know, and in other areas of the Bible where we just simply don't understand something, here's a good guideline, all right? The first thing that you can do when you don't understand something is seek out other areas of Scripture that help the Bible interpret itself. See, the Bible is a cohesive book. Yes, it's made up of 66 books, but there is a cohesive book called the Bible that has the same story from Genesis to Revelation, regardless of which author it was, regardless of which century it was written in. There is a cohesive pattern and thought to God's expression of himself through his word, the Bible. And so we can trust it to interpret itself. So here, even in this situation, Jesus isn't living, leaving us with, with a cliffhanger. I figure it out. Just, just pray real hard. You'll get it. No, he actually goes just six verses later and he begins to explain this entire thing. But how many times when we're reading the Bible and we read along and ah, I just don't get it, boom, and we close it up. And we have to be able to, to, to chew on it and, and, and let it digest and, and mull it over and, and never stop consuming the word of god because it gives us life just a little side note there so here in this in this parable jesus talking six verses later starting in verse 36 he gives us the explanation of what's going on here the farmer is jesus the field is the world the good seed are the followers of christ the enemy is satan the weeds are unbelievers and the harvesters are the angels it was in my in my yard the other day and I was I was planting some flowers and and pulling some weeds that were around some other flowers and I and I grabbed this weed and boom it pulled up and this huge chunk of earth was hanging off of it and then right at the bottom of it was one of my flowers just kind of dangling there and I'm like gum it I spent a lot of time growing that thing you know and I just killed it so here Jesus is, is talking about all right there's these weeds that are growing up with the wheat and just don't worry about it just leave them there but even more specifically, if you, if you look at the, at the language and understand what it is, it weren't just weeds. It wasn't just, all right, you know, look at it, and all right, that's a flower, and that's a weed. No, these were actually tares. And tares, T-A-R-E-S, tares looked exactly like wheat. You couldn't tell the difference. And remember last week when we talked about identity, we talked about these two groups of people. We talked about the wheat and the tares, even though we didn't talk about it in those terms. And we talked about these people who were Christians and, and called themselves such and were obedient to God from the heart. And then we talked about this other group of people that had a form of godliness but denied its power. These are the people that were constantly putting themselves on the scale. These are the people that had the list of all of the things that look like godliness. All right, this is how I identify my, myself. This is how I define myself. All right, go to church on Sunday. Check. 
All right, read the Bible. Check. Okay. Pray. Yeah, I did that for like 10 minutes today. That's awesome. Check. Okay, sir, serve. Serve. What did it serve? Um, uh, yeah, I opened the door for that old lady. Okay, check. You know. And, and okay, I remember we get this, this whole list, and we, all right, we're putting ourselves on the scales, and we're checking ourselves off so that we can look good. And the question comes back to the motive. So here there's these, these weeds, these tares, and there's this wheat, and they look exactly the same. And Jesus says, you're going to be in the world, and there's going to be these people who have this form of godliness. There's people that look good. And this is one of the greatest conflicts for us, isn't it? We go to work, and we hang out with our friends, and we have these conversations with non-believers. And then and we look up, you know, the, the, we line up their lives with our lives. And, and sometimes, you know, it's just tit for tat. It just matches. And sometimes we line up their lives. Man, they, they actually, they're kind of a nicer person than I am. You know, and we go, why? Why do you need Jesus? And that's the question that emanates from our minds. And they have the same question. Hey, why do I need Jesus? I'm just as good as you. Why do I need Jesus? crazy conflict what do we do there's these people there's these tares and there's this wheat and they're growing together getting the same nutrients in the same field how do we answer this conflict what do we do and it all comes down to this question this conflict the motive of the heart the motive of the heart See, because 1 Corinthians 13, when it talks about true love, this unconditional, self-sacrificing, self-personal preference, putting aside a love, not deprecating necessarily, but conscientious, proactively seeking the good of others, this kind of love, he says that when we have that kind of love, then what happens is we do these things out of, out of a good heart. And so we begin to bear this good fruit, wheat. We actually have a crop. But what happens if you're a tear is, is you have these things that you're doing, but inside you're doing it from a motive that isn't to please God. It's to please yourself or to look good in the eyes of others, to please other men. And he says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, those people are going to suffer loss. Why? Because you can speak with the tongue of men and of angels. You can have the gift of prophecy and understand all wisdom and all knowledge. You can deliver your body, your very body to be burned. You can sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. But without love, without loving God, this unconditional love, without loving people in a self-sacrificing way, you miss the point. And it's going to profit you absolutely nothing. And so we see at the end of this story, at the end of this parable, that what does Jesus say? All right, at the end of the age, at the end of time, when Christ returns, he's going to send his harvesters out, the angels. And the angels go and they take the wheat, the, the believers, and store them in the barn. Take them to heaven. And then they take the tares and they pluck them out. And they throw them down in the field and they burn them. And that's where the separation, that's where the ultimate conflict takes place. We have to have this understanding that God has allowed the weeds. God has allowed 
the conflict. And this is one of those things, you know, that, that James talks about, and, and honestly, it's just, it's a really annoying scripture. James talks about it in chapter 1, and he says in verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Oh, thanks, James. That's really encouraging. Appreciate that. James, you haven't walked in my shoes. James, you don't understand, man. The people are against me, man. The man is beating me down. You don't understand, James. You, it's, you don't have my life. It's not fair. I deserve more. I'm entitled to this. I shouldn't have to suffer for the, through this. I, God should not have let this happen to me. I don't deserve this. And James says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Beautiful, beautiful promise. That God wants to complete us, that he wants to satisfy us, that he wants to fulfill us, that he wants to give us everything that we need. And anything that we're lacking, we simply ask, and he's not going to be like, hey, you're an idiot. Why didn't you ask sooner? No, it says he won't rebuke us. He longs to give us good gifts. He longs to provide for our needs. And if we really grasp this concept that that conflict has been allowed by God in order to be able to to build our character and to build our endurance and to to help us in our perseverance and to to give us patience and to help us grow and and increase our faith. If we really grasp that, if we really understand that, if if we really invest in that, it could be actually quite revolutionary. It could actually change our our entire mindset of, of the things that we go through and the things that we do. We could have an opportunity to grow in our faith. We could have an opportunity to know ourselves better. We could have an opportunity to know God better. Conflict. Job loss. Oh, God, this is just the worst timing. I mean, there's a recession going on, and, and, I, and I lost my job, and I don't know what to do, and I'm, and, I, and I'm out there, and I'm looking, and I'm trying to find, and God, why did you let me get into this position? God, why did you do this to me? Sometimes we can get angry. But has God changed? Has the worthiness of God, has the, has the holiness of God, have any of the attributes changed? No, our circumstances have changed, and so that produces conflict where we have a lack of faith. And what we have is an opportunity to identify, all right, where really is my security? Is it in my job? Is it in how much I make? Where's my real security? Where's my real trust? Where's my real hope? Where's my real provision? We have an opportunity in in this challenge of our faith, in this testing of our faith, to go, all right, God, what is it that you'd like to speak to me during this time when I now have 40 hours a week free to seek you with all of my mind, heart, soul, and strength? Well, that's a little different spin on it, isn't it? What is it that you would have me do in this season where maybe you, you want to provide some redirection for me? Maybe I've been going down this path, and maybe it wasn't even a wrong path. Maybe you are just now saying, hey, buddy, I got something new for you. I have a new adventure. I've got a new 
plan. I've got a new area that I want to use you so that you can grow up a little bit more. You can look just a little bit more like me. Maybe that's what it's about. Conflict, relational breakup, challenging our security and our dependency, our comfort, our identity. I had the absolutely horrible opportunity about a year ago to, to, to be in, in the middle of, of this relationship that was on its way down. I was invited into the situation to begin some conversations. There was infidelity in a marriage. And I remember meeting with them and talking with them about resolution and reconciliation and the power of God for healing. And they both sat there and looked at me and said, yes, I, I, want, to, I want to move into forgiveness. I want to, I want to help our, our relationship grow stronger. And one of them sat there and, 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 and they said to me, oh yeah, Dan, my heart, my heart's right there. It's just beating right there. I want that. And that was the person that was lying to my face. And the other person truly had the motive of their heart. They wanted to seek reconciliation. They were the one that had been violated, done wrong, and they were willing with humility and with grace to say, I'm not perfect. I'm willing to give you a, another chance. I'm willing to lay down my personal preference. I'm, I'm willing to have self-sacrificing, self unconditional love for you. And the months that followed, the marriage ended. And then this pattern emerged. This 30-year pattern that had been going on where this person realized that they had not spent more than three months outside three months at a time outside of a significant relationship in a 30-year history. We got a little codependency going on. We got a little security and, and identity and, and comfort that are all wrapped up in places that they shouldn't be wrapped up. And it causes destruction. And that wasn't the first marriage that was killed because of that situation. Conflict, slander of a reputation. Oh, they shouldn't be talking about me like that. I have rights. That's not fair. And it challenges our peace. Because our mind spins and we become worried and become anxious. Oh, what will people think? And we want to defend ourselves. And our faith is challenged. Who is your defender? Who is your comforter? Who is the one who really truly knows you and who truly loves you? And we have opportunity to grow in our faith. And we can take revenge or we can be like our Savior who walked down the Via Della Rosa as people blindfolded him and beat him and ripped out his beard and whipped him and spit on him and killed him. And all the while, he said not a single word to defend himself, but simply spoke the truth in very few words. Yes, I am the King of the Jews. Yes, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am here to bring salvation to all who would dare to hope for it and dare to grasp at it. The death of a loved one. Opportunity for challenge in our faith to, to find friendship in God, to find comfort, to find the lover of our soul in a spiritual sense. 
And then these last two, receiving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. Man, these just beat you up, don't they? Asking for forgiveness, I was wrong. And giving forgiveness with a truly pure heart, it's an opportunity for us to, in, our, in our faith to experience humility, to abound in grace, to give joy to another person through forgiveness, to offer hope, and to go through the refining fire as we go, yeah, I've done wrong. I've done wrong. Conflict takes us on a journey of faith, hope, and humility. Last two of my Facebook confessions here. Number six, how do you deal with conflict? Um, I don't, lol. <laughs> I usually walk away. Unless I am sleep deprived, then I say some snappy comment and walk away. <laughs> Hmm, maybe I should work on that, huh? Number seven, if it's something that will really upset me or cause me to react irrationally, I try to walk away and deal with it when I'm calm. doesn't always happen that way, lol, but I'm working on it. I don't like conflict, so I try to be real and honest about it and do what I need to resolve it so it doesn't linger and make me more upset. That person has grasped a deep truth about conflict that when we don't deal with it it builds up it's like an ever-growing amount of hot magma that is waiting to just blow your head off that's what conflict is when we don't deal with it and the way that we have to deal with it in our in our journey of faith in our submission to christ and our submission to god's design is by being obedient to his word and learning to love each other. Sex section of scripture in 1 John. It's on your fridge fold. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 and 18 through 20. And it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid... It is for fear of judgment, and this shows that his love has not been perfected in us. We love each other as a result of his loving us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we've not seen? Amazing, amazing verses. Amazing, amazing opportunity that when we get into conflict, we have the choice to embrace God's redemptive work, refining work that he does through these things that we don't like, these areas where we've been done wrong oftentimes. The thing about it is, is we grow up expecting everyone else to be just like us. 
and they aren't. And so this conflict kind of takes us off guard. There's this huge learning curve to it, and yet God calls us to love. So how, how should we deal with conflict? And I came up with uh, six different things. Number one, trust God's sovereignty and provision. Trust God's sovereignty and provision. The Bible over and over again, from beginning to end, talks about that when we trust God, when we commit our ways to, to Him, that, that He makes our paths smooth and straight. That those who put their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Amazing, amazing promises. Trust God's sovereignty and provision, that He's in control, that He has allowed this conflict to take place for our good. And the good is that we are growing in our faith and our understanding of people and him. Number two, seek peace and reconciliation. Seek peace or reconciliation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I think it's around verse 20, 21, somewhere right in there, Paul talks about how we are ambassadors for Christ and how we're, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Jesus came into the world, put on flesh to reconcile us, to provide us the opportunity to know God. And we have been given the opportunity to reflect the glory of God, to draw people to God, to draw people to Jesus Christ so that they can know Him, so that they can love Him, so that we can be the family of God. We are called to seek peace and reconciliation. There's verses that talk about, you know, seek peace and pursue it. There's verses that talk about, as much as it is up to you, be at peace with all men. What does that mean? Well, that there's this actual peace that exists that someone else can't rob you of, and it starts with love. It starts with this unconditional love that you find in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, love is not provoked. You can't piss it off. You got that kind of love? I don't, but I long for it. But I battle to have it, but I desire it. I want that kind of love. That when conflict comes, I understand that what's really happening is, is that there's a battle that is deeper than this person's just upset with me. What, what's really happening is that there is this depravity that is taking place. There's this conflict. There's this battle for this person's very soul that is going on. And it's just coming out at me. <laughs> but I have the opportunity to try to bring peace into this situation. Number three, give and receive forgiveness. We have this little story where Peter comes to Jesus, you remember, you know, and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Like, that's the holy answer, right? Seven times? Sounds like an awful lot. I mean, two or three, and I'm pretty much done. Forgive somebody. Why, why can't this person get it? Like, how many times are they going to do this over and over again? How many times do I have to forgive them? And Jesus says, ah, oh, yeah, Peter, ha, 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 funny. That's real funny. And he tells him this parable. It's right in the middle of Matthew chapter 18. Amazingly disturbing parable. And the gist of it is Jesus says, here's your answer, Peter. I want you to forgive them 70 times seven. How about, how about 490 times that you forgive them, Peter. How about that? How about you forgive them so many times that you lose count? How, how about you forgive them so many times that it becomes a, a, a constant flow of grace from you? How about you forgive them so many times that you understand the depth of my grace, the depth of what I have done for you by giving you unmerited favor? How about that, Peter? How about that, Dan Meyer? How about your giving forgiveness? 
is understanding the great forgiveness that you have been already given. Give and receive forgiveness. Number four, speak truth in love with humility. Speak truth in love with humility. We saw this last week a little bit with this this section of Scripture where where Paul confronts Peter. Peter's playing the hypocrite, you know, and and he's living in his freedom in Christ. And then the Jews, the religious, some of the religious leaders show up and he's like, oh, no, I didn't just eat bacon. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't hanging out and eating with the Gentiles, those dirty heathens. No, not me. And Paul calls him out, dude, you are a hypocrite. I got to tell you, you are, you are being a fool. And I love you, and that's why I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to share truth with you, and I'm not going to hide it, and I'm not going to cover it up, and I'm not going to let you lead other people in that hypocrisy. You can't do it, Peter. Speak truth in love with humility. A good, a good verse that goes along with this is Galatians chapter 6, right in the first part, I think it's verse 1, it says, You who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of humility, with a spirit of gentleness. What that means, he's talking about these people that have fallen, these people that have backslidden, these people that have uh, uh, kind of made a mistake, did something that was sin, was, was outside God's design. And he says, you who are spiritual, you who really love God, Don't go and grab your Bible and begin to beat them over the head with it. No. He says, restore them with a spirit of humility and gentleness. Hey, bro, that's just not really the truth. And and this is what God's Word says. And man, is there any way I can help you with this? Is there any way that I can encourage you? Is there any way I can hold you accountable in this? Is there any way that I can love you? We do that with humility. Number five, Pray for those who spitefully use you. Yeah, that's impossible. (laughs) Pray for those who spitefully, are you kidding me? Like when somebody spitefully uses me, when I feel abused, when I feel like I've been violated, what's my first reaction? How can I get back? How can I get back? We had a water balloon fight at my house right before we came to church. A little party for my kids, you know. Somebody threw a water balloon at me from like 30 feet away, hit me right there. And I'm all like, oh, it's on. <laughs> and I got this little ammo dump, you know. I'm like, I got like five water balloons. And I'm just like all coy. I'm just all sitting there like, yeah, do 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 And then they like turn their head and I'm like, <laughs> you know, and they're like, ah! you know. Like, yes, teach you to mess with me. That's right. You're going to get wet. But that's our first reaction. That's our first response is, man, I do not want to pray for you. And if I pray, what is it? God, will you just like kill them, please? And we read that in the Psalms, don't we? David talks about like, God smite my enemies. We read that, you know, it's it's like perfectly legitimate in one sense, but I don't think that's really what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about lifting them up and identifying their depravity and having compassion on them. These people are lost. These people that are using you and are abusing you are outside of God's design. And they are using you because they want to make themselves feel better. They are miserable. And when we identify that in our eyes of faith, we have compassion. And our heart breaks just like God's heart is breaking for these people as he longs to have fellowship with them. And the last one, number six, bless those who persecute you. There's a reason I put it last. (laughs) Bless those that persecute you. 
All right, praying's one thing. I mean, come on, you know, praying at least, you know, it's just me and God, and I don't have to let them know that, you know, I'm actually kind of like trying to be nice and that I actually have compassion in my heart. I can, I can still kind of like do the normal thing where like, yeah, you've done me wrong. You and I both know it. And your judgment is coming. No, but, but God says go so far as to take that prayer to the place where it changes you not just them, changes you, and you are proactive in blessing them. All kinds of verses about this. Got a whole other story, but I'm going to wrap it up. The question is, are you, are you a nice, healthy clump of wheat? <laughs> or are you a tear? Are you checking things off to try to, to please man or... or you really, in your heart of hearts, just longing to please God. That's what it's about. And there's no judgment and there's no condemnation. There is grace that is flowing freely. For now. But the harvesters are on their way. They're coming. And so we have to be ready. We have to be prepared. And when we hear the words, hey, Jesus is going to return, then it should be something that encourages us and comforts us and builds up our hope and gives us a focus on the eternal, that gives us strength and hope to make it through the now. And it shouldn't scare us to death. And if you find yourself in this place as you're reading this list, uh, trust God's sovereignty and provision. Seek peace and reconciliation. Give and receive forgiveness. Speak truth and love with humility. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Bless those who persecute you. And you're sitting here going, oh my gosh, how? Then we find ourselves in very good company because the Bible is full of people who said that same thing, how? Jesus had this way when he, when he spoke these parables, when he, when he spoke to people that, that he, he amazed them and he bewildered them and he confused them and he, he made them angry. And for those whose spirit has been revived, he also made them hopeful and joyful. You, you mean that, that there's actually a way that I can rise above my circumstances? There's actually a way that I can overcome conflict? There's actually a lifestyle? There's actually a mentality? There's actually a walk in the Spirit where I can have peace that isn't affected by what other people do to me? Are you kidding me? Not kidding you. Not kidding you. But when we find ourselves in that place where we wrestle with that and when we're not experiencing that, when we, then we find ourselves right there with the disciples, right there with the apostles, right there with these everyday men and women who are battling their faith and who reply in multiple different scenarios to God himself and say, God, oh, oh, Lord, oh, Jesus, please help my unbelief. Dear Jesus, please Increase my faith. God always responds to that. He loves to hear those words. And when we diligently seek Him, He continues that work, that good work that He started in you, and He will be faithful to complete it. The worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to enter into a time of just 
thanking God for His kindness, thanking God for His grace, thanking God for the hope and the opportunity to overcome our conflict. What I'd like for us to do is let's just all stand together. I'm going to pray for us as we, as we enter into a time of worship, as we, as we enter in a time of, of examining our hearts and, and aligning our heart so that the abundance of the heart that comes out of our mouth and the things that we do is something that is pleasing to God, where our Spirit of God is inside us bearing good fruit. Father God, we come before you as your people, as your beloved, as your beloved creation, the ones that you formed the ones who you planned and designed, the ones that you orchestrated to be here in this place at this time, this point in history, to honor you and to glorify you, to be reconciled to you and to reconcile others to you. And Lord, help us in our unbelief. Lord, increase our faith. That the motives of our heart might be pure, that you would refine us, and that we would learn to overcome conflict and be pleasing in your sight in jesus name we pray Amen.